0: If you wandered past our gym this morning and wondered what's going on in there, it's our Thrive Sports Ministry that we started up this fall. They're having their soccer banquet this afternoon, evening. Uh, so be, be in prayer for that ministry. It's really, uh, really encouraging to see how many families we're able to reach and touch uh, through that sports ministry. So that's what's going on down there. It's not a wedding reception, it's a banquet. There we go. Now, this time of year, peace is on everyone's mind. Peace is a wonderful idea. It's one with universal appeal. Everyone is pro-peace, aren't they? It's widely posted about and talked about. It's something that we dream about and that we plan for. But if we're honest, peace is terribly elusive, isn't it? Isn't it? Even though peace is universally appealing to nearly everyone, why is it that when we look at our world, we see so much lack of peace? We see this clearly in the news headlines, the ongoing war in Ukraine, unrest in Iran, or closer to home, with hate crimes and school shootings. But peace also eludes... Those who live in the most advanced nations, the most secure neighborhoods, and with the best jobs. Michael Jordan, in his Hall of Fame speech, called the game of basketball his refuge and the place that he goes to for comfort and peace. A few years after this, in an interview with ESPN, Jordan's spirit remained still restless as he wondered out loud, how Can I find peace away from the game of basketball? The answer for Jordan, for us, and for the world, is that true peace is only found in the Prince of Peace. Let's go to the Word now together as we ponder the Prince of Peace. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be just reading verses 6 and 7 this morning. If you need to use a pew Bible, you'll find today's text on page 680. And once you're there, please stand with me, if you're able, and follow along with me as I read. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end and on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this this is god's word pray with me your law O lord is perfect Reviving the soul, your testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Father, may your Holy Spirit work in our hearts through the preaching of your word to make us, your simple people, wise. Revive our souls as your word illuminates the beauty of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah writes here to God's people who are about to go into exile. They were people who faced threats to peace from without. Their hearts were unsettled as they lacked peace within. And their rebellious idolatry has sacrificed peace with their God. Isaiah writes to comfort God's people with news that the peace that they most need and long for will come. And for you who find peace elusive, peace has come. And it comes today. You can have it today. Today we're going to look and highlight three ways that we all need peace. And then I hope to show you from this text how the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9 brings us all the peace that we so desperately need. So let's start out with this, the peace within. The first way that we need peace is, the people that Isaiah is sent to are in a time of national, <clears throat> excuse me, and personal crisis. God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz in chapter seven, verse ten, to plead with him to seek the Lord. He's invited. He's invited to ask the Lord for a sign. Imagine that. If God said to you, "Ask me for a sign," what would you ask for? I mean, the, the, the door is open. And, and Isaiah gives, gives the, uh, the, the limitations here. He says, ask for a sign as deep as the grave or as high as the heavens. What would you ask for? But get this, King Isaiah uh, uh, Ahaz, he, he refuses. He says, no, I will not ask the Lord for a sign. Ahaz believed that he could have peace apart from God. He didn't need God. He felt that God needed him because, after all, the promised Messiah would come through the line of David in which King Ahaz stood. So the Lord needs me, he thinks. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty important stuff around here. And this is a spirit, of course, of self-reliance. He believed that he had what it took within himself to make his own peace. And we love to read this next verse, verse 14, at Christmas time, Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is such a wonderful promise. But understand that it was first a word of judgment. Let me explain. Right after Ahaz declines God's invitation to give him a sign, the Lord says. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. You don't think you need me, but I'm going to give you a sign anyway. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The Lord is letting Ahaz know that while you think that it is I who need you, think again. I can keep my promise to David without you. I can cause a virgin to conceive and bear a son. That's what he's saying here in, in this context. And we're really no different today. The spirit of self-reliance is still alive and well in the hearts of people. The messages of our world celebrate, the the ones they celebrate are the the messages that tell us that, that we're enough and that we must look inside of ourselves to find the peace that we need. But this is a fruitless and frustrating endeavor. There's a line from that old boxing movie, Rocky, that captures this restless state of the souls of men so well. Rocky, of course, if you're not familiar, he's a blue-collar nobody from Philly who's preparing to fight the reigning heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. And in a conversation with his girl, Adrian, Rocky says, I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either because all I want to do go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. And that's it. That's what drives so many of us, the need to prove to ourselves that we're not just another bum from the neighborhood to believe that you're valuable and that you have worth. This is what the lack of peace looks like inside the hearts of so many. In order to live with yourself, you've got to prove to yourself that you're not a bum. But this pursuit of looking for peace within never ends, it's never enough. And even when you think you've arrived, how do you keep it? Even after six NBA championships, Jordan still needed the game of basketball. And peace still eluded him. And At the end of Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah describes the people's fruitless pursuit of peace. In verse 22, he says, And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom and anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You see, You see what's happening here? They're looking at the world around them and their prospects for making their own peace. And they're coming to the end of themselves and realizing it's hopeless. Distress and darkness, gloom and anguish. This is the first kind of peace that we all need. The second peace that we need is peace with others. You struggle to have peace with yourself because like Rocky, you fear being another bum from the neighborhood. But when you struggle to have peace with others, it's because someone else is acting like a bum towards you. For so many, the holidays are the most difficult time of the year because there's such brokenness in so many relationships. The anxiety of of seeing that relative and avoiding those conversations. You get that pit in your stomach just thinking about going into that home and walking on eggshells around those people. This is the struggle that God's people had. In Isaiah chapter 7, after the reign of King Solomon, the, the nation is split in two. There's ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. This is this family division here. The twelve tribes were the 12 descendants of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. And in chapter 7, the 10 northern tribes are allied with the king of Syria to attack Jerusalem, the capital city of the, 10, of the two tribes in the south. Now look at verse 2 of chapter 7 and see what this does to their hearts. Their heart, the hearts of the king and of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This is nothing new. It goes all the way back to the garden. After the sin of Adam and Eve, the curse of sin made it such that the husband-wife relationship would be strained. God says to the woman in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 16, that her desire would be contrary to her husband, that he would rule over her. And it didn't get any better after this. Cain, one of the first siblings, kills his brother Abel. Jacob deceived his brother Esau and stole his birthright. And Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And in the New Testament, tensions were high between Jews and Gentiles. And Jews and Samaritans. And world history is filled with examples of wars, broken families, oppression and injustice. So we need peace with others. We need the peace within. And the third thing we need is peace with the Lord. We've seen that lack of inner peace is because of unrest in our hearts to prove we're not bums. And we've just seen how lack of outer peace comes from the fact that our sin and our self-centeredness causes us to treat others like bums. But our deepest need for peace is between us us And God, because we've all acted like bums to him. And worse, we've made God our enemy. King Ahaz declined the Lord's sign. He rejected the Lord himself. And to reject the Lord is to make him your enemy. Isaiah chapter 8 explains uh, to Ahaz how God will use the Assyrians to ruin them, to drive them from the land and judgment. Paul reminds us that this is the eternal plight of all mankind. In Romans 3, he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, and all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Down in verse 17, In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In chapter six twenty three, Paul tells us that all have earned death and separation from God and hell. This is what we have earned. We all have rejected God as our King, and this is because we don't want a King. We want to be kings. We think we just need the power and the resources to get ourselves over that hump. To overcome uh, the, the hostility from without and the, the hostility within. We just, we just need power. We need resources. And to reject God, we've made ourselves the most powerful enemy there is. The greatest need For mankind is to have peace with God, their Creator. And now, what I'd like to do is go back and look at how Isaiah nine shows us how the the Prince of Peace meets all of our needs for peace. So let's consider the Prince of Peace now together. It all begins by having peace with God, but this gift is nothing that anyone expected. the The gift was not on anyone's Christmas list. Again, we we want power to overcome our suffering, but the gift of God that comes to us comes to us in weakness, not in power. A child is born. A son is given, Isaiah writes. How is this good news? How is this good news? Isaiah explains in chapter 53 that this son would grow to become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He would be despised and rejected. He would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. This is why the son is our prince of peace. He makes peace between us and God by becoming our substitute. He is pierced for our transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities. His death on the cross and rejection by God is the hostility that we deserved. But he gives us the peace of God by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it's precisely because of this that we can have peace within. Notice how this brings us peace within. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice how this Prince of Peace comes. Look at this verse closely. For to us. A child is born. To us, a son is given. When we give gifts at Christmas time, we write on the tags to Johnny, to Sally. Notice whose name is on the tag of the gift of the Prince of Peace. To us, to us, a prince is given. A child is given. This is so important because it gets to the very core of the Christian faith. This is what sets it apart from every other world religion. Every other religion only gives you rules to follow in order to have peace. Other religions say, follow this, obey this, do that, and then God will heal you. Those are wage religions because you get what you earn. You get what you put into it. But this is not how Christianity works. Christianity is a faith that is a gift religion. And so it's so fitting that we give gifts around Christmas time. It's a gift religion. While other religions tell you how, to, how you can justify yourself and to make yourself feel worthy and acceptable, Christianity tells you that your worth and acceptability is, is given to you. Jesus works for you to earn God's favor, and he gives it as a gift, not as a wage. Do you want to know that you're not a bum? Do you want to know what your true value is worth? Someone once explained to me how the value of something is determined. You know how it is? Something's value is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. How much was God willing to pay for you? That determines your worth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is your value, Jesus is your worth. Jesus is your peace with God and it's all a gift. To us, to us, a son is given. Only knowing this and having it for yourself will bring peace to your restless souls. As it says in John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives you that peace by making peace between you and God and knowing what your worth really is. And you can never earn that for yourselves. It has to only be given to you and received. So this is how Jesus meets our inner peace. Now finally, how does he uh, meet our need for peace with others? Today, there are those who say that the, the problem with our society is those people. Those lazy freeloaders who only want a handout. If only they would work harder, our world would be better. Or some think the problem is that some people just have too much and they won't share it. If only they would share a little bit with the, the rest of us, then the world would be a, a much better place. The point is this, the curse of sin makes it such that our problems with others will always make it that it's their fault, it's someone else's fault. My parents are unreasonable, my kids won't listen, my boss is a jerk, my teacher doesn't like me. And your solution will always be that you don't have enough help, enough money, enough power to make things right on your own. And you reason that if if only God would give me more of what I need, then I wouldn't be so miserable. But the Bible paints a much different picture of reality. The problem is not them. It's not out there. It's in here. The problem is that we're all bums. We're all self-centered sinners. The problem is not that you're a sufferer who needs a heavenly sugar daddy but that you're a sinner who needs a savior. We don't need a a Messiah to come and and get rid of all the bums because if he did, we'd all be destroyed. We'd all have to be included in that. What we need, what we so desperately need is someone who can deal with our sin, who can deal with our self-centeredness, someone who can free us from ourselves, To this, Isaiah says in verse 7 that the kingdom of the Son who is given will be one of peace, that he will uphold with justice and with righteousness. Verse 4 says that the the rod of oppression will be broken. Verse 5 says that the boots used for trampling down people and the garments stained with the blood of oppression will be burned. All these things will be brought to an end. There will be no need for them because mankind will be at perfect peace with one another because they've made peace with God. And the way this happens is first by knowing that we're all bums, that we all need Jesus equally. Listen to how Paul explains how peace will come to Jews and Gentiles in Ephesians 2. We read this earlier this morning. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It might reconcile us both to God. In one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. This is how we have peace with others. If Christ has reconciled you both to God through his death and his resurrection, then you're no longer enemies, you're family. Both members of the household of God. This is incredibly humbling because if Christ died for those people, then who are we to reject them? Do we have higher standards than Jesus? God forbid it. In Christ, your enemy is your family. Your enemy becomes your family. Peace with God. Peace within. Peace with others. This is what the Prince of Peace offers you. To have it, you need to know that you don't deserve it. Lay down your arms, stop resisting, come to Jesus and be reconciled to God. Become a member of his family. Only then will you have peace within and peace with others when you receive the peace that the Prince of Peace offers you. Christian, if you've been struggling lately to know peace within and peace with others, it's because you've taken your eyes off the, the peace of God, off your peace with God. You've forgotten, you've forgotten the need to remember what Paul calls the inexpressible gift of God, that God would give his most prized possession to his enemies. We must remember that. We must fight to remember that. And finally, know that Christ's kingdom is here now, but not yet in its fullness. Plead with the Lord, thy kingdom come. A kingdom without end, Isaiah tells us. A kingdom without term limits. A kingdom without expiration dates. He says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our perfect prince of peace. That by your broken body and shed blood, you purchased peace between us and God. And you've also reconciled to one another those uh, at hostility with one another. Father, may we be astounded by your inexpressible gift that we might know that we're not bums because you have given us the gift of peace that we so desperately need, that our worth is found in Christ alone. There's no greater gift that we could ever receive. We thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.